Welcome to John Curry's Secure Retirement Podcast. My name is Steve Gordon and I am the temporary host. I'm here with Mr. Curry himself in the flesh and uh, we are in our second episode uh, where we are going through uh, some some specific planning uh, around uh, the idea of retirement for the Florida retirement system and members of the Florida retirement system. If you're in the Florida retirement system, this is going to be specifically uh, geared to you. If you are not in the Florida retirement system, you are going to gain things uh, out of this that uh, I think will be valuable for you as well, uh, because many of the topics that affect FRS members also affect uh, everybody that's going to retire. And so so if you missed that very first episode, you can go back and listen to that on uh, John's website, johnhcurry.com or in your favorite podcast player. So, Mr. Curry. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Steve. So today we are, we're really kind of diving into the meat of things and we're talking about the FRS pension options. So set the stage for us. What are we going to cover today? I always like to start with the basics. There are four options under the Florida Retirement System pension. There's a lot of confusion about them. Uh, there's a lot of changes that have happened over the years. In 2011, legislature made some more uh, changes that impact people. Uh, but I like to start with the very basics and just share some tidbits of information that many people don't know. The Florida retirement system was actually created back in 1970. At that time, the legislature brought all the existing plans together. Uh, there was something called the teacher's retirement plan and the state employees plan. So they just merged them. At the time, it was contributory, meaning you had to contribute some of your own money. 1975, it became non-contributory, meaning the state of Florida totally funded everything. And I remember talking with people that I've known for years in the Florida retirement system, including my dad, saying, wow, this is fantastic. You know, I don't have to make pay anything into it. And then in 2011, that changed. And employees now have to contribute 3%. And then the state contributes their portion, which we'll get into later. But I find it interesting that it's been years. I mean, many years since I had anyone who had taken the time to read and study and really understand their pension. I'll have people come to me, see within six months of retirement, they've never read the FRS employee handbook. They've never read the plan summary description about the plan. Now, I know I'm a little unusual because I eat, sleep, and drink anything related to retirement. I do. I admit it. I'm a geek about it. But I would think that if either take the time to learn it or go find somebody who knows it inside out and hire that person or persons to help you. So I, I love this. I have a passion for it. And uh, I touched on it in the last episode, but I'll hit it briefly today. My, my grandfather took option one. So I'm going to explain option one. Option one is the maximum benefit. You get that check for as long as you live. The day you die, it dies with you. So my grandfather died. That pension died. My grandmother got no more money for the rest of her life until he's almost 95. So that's an expensive option if you don't live a long time. My well, I'll go ahead and cover all four and I'll come back to them. Option two, a little different. It also is a lifetime benefit, but it has a 10-year guarantee. Life to the employee, 10 years to the beneficiary. So had my grandfather taken that one, he died about five years into retirement. My grandmother would have gotten the income five more years and then it would stop. Option three is joint with 100% to the survivor. That's what my dad took. My dad took that option so it's less income. He had about 15% less income than he could have had with the top one, maximum. I, I want to stop you right there. Talk about this a little bit, because I, I know the the experiences of both your father and your grandfather really are what drove you to, 
to do what you do today. As I listen to it, it sounds like your, your grandfather took one option. Your father probably looked at that as an example of what not to do and went completely the opposite, 180 degrees. He did, totally opposite. And, and that was a little bit problematic as well. And share a little bit about that story and maybe why just looking at the surface can create problems. Well, I'm going to be as simple and direct as I can. My grandfather saw option one as being the maximum money. And he simply said, I'm healthy. I think I'll live a long time. I'm taking the maximum. And he didn't give a whole lot of thought to what happens when I die. He had very little life insurance, less than 10,000. So he had a different mindset. Some people have a mindset, I'm absolutely going to protect the people that I love and care about, even though I get less money. My grandfather didn't have that mindset. He was like, hey, damn it, I want every dollar I can get. My dad had a different mindset. When he saw and he had to reach into his pocket and help his mother every month, along with his brother, he said, I do not want my sons to have to do that for their mom. So he settled for less in order to guarantee her a lifetime income. So it comes down to a mindset, Steve. And also, are you willing to listen and take advice? Uh, my dad and my grandfather were very stubborn men. Uh, they didn't take much advice. And they were skeptical, you know, so they didn't get the advice that they could have gotten. Well, you know, the way you describe that, it, it makes it sound as if one of those two options is just inherently better than the other. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's definitely not the case because maybe I have enough resources that I can take options. So let's back up. If my grandfather, let's suppose he had just a big old life insurance policy in force when he retired. He could have taken the maximum benefit knowing that if he died two days later, that the life insurance would take care of my grandmother. He didn't do that. Now, if somebody does not have life insurance or they don't have a lot of savings or investments, then maybe taking option three is better. So in my dad's case, he made the right decision. It could have been better, but he made the right decision based on what information he had. Well, and I think that's what I want to make sure that anybody listening understands is that it isn't just about which of these options you take. It's about the total picture. And so that's what we're really going to get into. Absolutely. And we'll talk about it some today in the sense that in this episode, because some people choose one of the four options in what I call a vacuum. Okay. Which one's the best? Well, neither is the best. They're all good. They're designed for different purposes. That's why they're there. But now the challenge is how do we take those four options, coordinate that with social security your deferred comp, your IRAs, you know, drop money if you have that, uh, savings, investments, your life insurance. All that has to be reviewed as a total package in order to have a comprehensive retirement plan that will last you for the rest of your life. Most people listening to this, when they retire, they will probably live 20 to 25 years or longer in retirement. We're living longer. So what if you live 30 years in retirement? The plan better work. I think everybody would agree. It better work. It better work. So uh, get us back on track here because I, I, uh, I thank you for kind of pausing and, and clarifying that. But um, get us back on track with, uh, with the pension options. Okay. Well, let me just summarize them real quick. So option one is life only, meaning if I take that option, I get it as long as I live. If I live to be 100 years old, I get that check. And depending upon when I entered the 
Florida retirement system, I might have a cost of living benefit. At one time, it was just a flat 3%. July 1st, 2011, that changed. If you are a new hire coming in, you don't have a cost of living benefit in retirement. I find people don't know that. They, well, sure, I have it. No. Read the plan document. If you were hired on or after July 1 of 2011, there is no cost of living benefit for you when you retire. People who have been there for a while, instead of getting automatically 3%, it's been scaled down. So I just met with a client yesterday. 2.4% will be his cost of living benefit based on a factor. So each of these options will have a cost of living benefit prior to 2011, nothing after. So option one, get that check for life. The day I die, nothing. The only thing that would come back to my family would be any contributions I've made into the plan. Option two, life also for as long as I live, but 10 years guaranteed to the beneficiary, typically a spouse. So I live five years, I die, income continues five more years. And again, if I die, 10-year guarantee, but nothing after the 10 to the beneficiary. I've had people say, I'm not taking that option. My dad said, I'm not taking that option because I only get it for 10 years. I said, Dad, that's not accurate. You get it for life. Mom is the one that will be hurt after 10 years. And he didn't know that. And then option three is called joint life with 100% to the survivor. So my dad took that option. So the check he was getting, lifetime, the day he died, that same dollar amount continued to my mother until she died. When both die, there's nothing left. So it's all gone. Because the state of Florida is investing that money to guarantee income streams for two lives. And then the fourth one is joint life with two-thirds. A lot of confusion on this one. So the two-thirds, I get the check, I die, my wife gets two-thirds of what I was getting. Okay? What people don't know is if the spouse dies first, you also are reduced down to two-thirds. I've had people come to my office angry. You know, the state of Florida misled me. Division of retirement misled me. I said, no, sir, they did not. It's in bold print right there. What happened is this. You saw that that benefit was greater than option three, less than two, and you locked on it and took it, thinking that upon your death, she could live on less. But you didn't ask the other question. If she dies first, can you live on less? And it's pretty sobering when you have to have that conversation. I said, but maybe I can help you. Maybe we can do a little rescue plan here. Talk to me about your other assets. But those are the four options. And some people say there should not be a pension plan. And I'm convinced that the day is coming when you're going to find that more and more pressure is going to be on the states to get rid of the pension plan and have more of what we have now with the FRS investment plan. So a new hire, you're hired today, you can do the pension plan or the investment plan. If you know you're not staying until you're vested eight years, you might want to take the investment plan because I'm leaving in a year or two and not do the pension. But uh, corporate America went there a long time ago. Back in the 80s, I said, wait a minute, we're going to give up the pension plan and have a defined contribution plan called a 401k. 
And all retirement plans come under two categories. It's either a defined benefit plan, like the FRS pension, or a defined contribution. So let's spend a minute on that. A defined benefit is based on a formula, based on number of years of service, what was my income, and a factor. So I get a percentage of my income paid out to me. A defined contribution plan, like the FRS investment plan or a 401k, that's different. That's based on how much money went in and whatever chunk of money is there at the end of the rainbow, I, the employee, have the pressure and the burden of handling that to make sure it lasts me forever. So the pension is good because it takes away all of the investment decisions for you because the State Board of Administration does all the investing and they're responsible for backing up the income. Now, 2008, pension, all pensions took a big hit. Today, there's worry that pensions are what we call solvent. Are they actuarially solvent? Meaning, can they meet the obligations into the future? And I can't speak for the state of Florida. I can't speak for the State Board of Administration, but I think they're doing a good job. And I think people who dig deep into it will see that our pension plan for our state employees in Florida is better than most. Very solid. Well, I'm sure that'll be comforting to people who listen to this. So as we look at the, the various options, is there anything else people need to know? Anything else you want to cover here today? Well, just a little bit, but not much about the contribution. I have people who come in and they're angry that they're having to contribute 3% to the pension plan. And I'm trying to help people understand, personally, I think we all should have to contribute. You, you got to have a little bit of uh, skin in the game, is the way I see it. But it's so easy if you've not done something and all of a sudden you have to pay into it, we complain. And we all do it, you know. Uh, but just understand that that's just another way of making sure the plan is more solvent to take care of not only you, but the people behind you. It's important. And I would say this, final thoughts on this topic would simply be, uh, I have in front of me right now the plan document. It's very complicated. I mean, there's formulas for you know, what percent do you get when you retire? You know, um, should you retire early? Should you wait until the maximum? And, and it's not unlike Social Security when we get to that. But I would simply say, Steve, that it's not just looking at four numbers on a piece of paper when you get your estimate. And say, oh, I'm going to pick this one. You can do that. I think that's a mistake. It should be part of a comprehensive retirement income plan, not just a retirement plan. And I like to do what I call a retirement rehearsal for my clients. We take every stream of income you've got, we put it into our model, we project you out to age 100 and see how it looks. I, I think that's a better approach. But each person has to make their own choice. I want to do two things here before we wrap up. Okay. Um, one, I want to give folks a little bit of a preview for what's coming next. Okay. And, uh, and I also want them to uh, know how to get in touch with you if they've got questions. So if what, what do we have coming next in the series? Well, I think the next thing we want to cover is going to be, should you defer money? Should you be in the uh, deferred compensation plan, sometimes called a 457 deferred comp, or 403B if you're in the a school teacher of the university system. I think it's going to be fun talking about what happens in the future 
you know, we're all programmed to think that when we retire, we've been in a lower tax bracket. So I'm going to talk about some of that. Okay, great. That's perfect. So we'll, we'll cover that next time. Where can folks get a hold of you if they've got questions, if maybe they're having to make these decisions right now? Well, they can reach me at my office at 850-562-3000. I'll repeat that, 850-562-3000 or the website, johnhcurry.com, johnhcurry.com. Perfect. Well, my friend, thank you again for sharing a little bit of your insights and wisdom with us. And uh, we will be back, folks, uh, with another episode in this series uh, talking about deferred compensation. Doesn't get any more exciting than that, does it? Well, it's nice to have the compensation and you're going to need it deferred so you can enjoy it later. That's right. That's right. All right. Thanks, everyone. If you'd like to know more about John Curry services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor, Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker dealer and investment advisor. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal tax or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System, the Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005 to 2020. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own. 2020-110011 expires October 2022.